Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series over the Ten Commandments, titled Foundational Truth for a Confused World. Enjoy. Okay, so we're working through the Sixth Commandment. And, and again, looking at the commandment in terms of the, the, the literal part of it is you should not commit adultery, right? But then when we look at the broader meaning of what is talked about and discussed in the sixth commandment, it also has to do with loving and honoring spouse. And then it goes out beyond that to living a chaste and decent life in word and deed. And so we're, we're talking more and more about that, particularly because our culture today is so wide open in terms of, of, of uh, how it feels about and addresses the issue of sexuality and where does that fit in terms of where the, where the boundaries are, not only in terms of marriage, but also in terms of uh, singleness, in terms of, of, of gay life, in terms of all those things now that at one time we're seen as uh, something, a, a, number one, nobody talked about it. That was one thing. But the other thing is, is that it was seen as an aspect of, of sin where today everything is wide open. And so we do get the opportunity when we talk about the sixth commandment to be able to talk about those things. So uh, from last week, when we first addressed some of this, uh, going looking at uh, the two things that we did talk about is number one, a lifestyle of sexual immorality robs a person of God's blessings because it changes the goal of life from self-service to self-gratification. And so see, that's one of the things, one of the aspects about sexual immorality is that it, like many things, but we're talking specifically about it, is that there is an addictive quality to it. And, and anytime you have an addictive quality to something, what easily can happen is not only in terms of the insatiable desire that the body would have, there is also a, a mind shift that occurs. And oftentimes the mind shift moves from seeing people as people and shifting into seeing people as objects of self-gratification. And the problem with that, I mean, that's a problem, obviously, but it's not limited then to just one aspect of your life. Once you give yourself over to self-gratification and that becomes your way of thinking, your way of doing, then that begins to or can begin to permeate, permeate other aspects of your life. So where, where, do the, where, where are boundaries? Where, where is it that I say no to myself, for example? Now, when we talk about addictions, we can get into all kinds of things. Uh, certainly, sexual addiction is a real thing. What other kind of addictions might there be? Yeah. Alcohol, obviously, is a, is a major one for a lot of people. Food is another one. Uh, how many of you crave carbs? Yeah, I mean, to be real honest with you, we've often talked about my uh, desire for Twinkies occasionally. We've talked about that, okay? I mean, you know, again, it's... Uh, not recently, okay, yes. And by the way, I don't know where the story started in the church that I am diabetic, okay? Now, I don't, <laughs> I don't know where that started. Somebody, I was probably talking about Twinkies one day. Maybe that's what it was. But anyway, I assure you I'm not diabetic, okay? So we want to get that on record and officially in the podcast as well, all right, that I'm not diabetic. <laughs> But the reality is, is that when you have a craving for something, when your body says, I got to have it, and, and we're talking about addictions here, how easy is it to say no to that? Not very easy. See, and in fact, sometimes for some people, the act of saying no to it causes pain in the body. It certainly causes pain in the mind. And it makes it very difficult. Um, people who, for example, are addicted to nicotine, we'll talk about that. The big crisis now in, uh, in, our, in America is the opiate crisis, where people have been uh, prescribed painkillers for legitimate reasons, 
but then got to where they were hooked on it. And then the doc said, we're not going to write you any more prescriptions. And the, the body says, well, I got to have something. And so then there is a, a tendency anyway, not for everybody, but for some people to move to uh, street drugs. So it just, it tells you a lot about the power of it. And so when we talk about uh, sexual immorality from, from just from that perspective, the power of it is often underestimated. When people first get into it, it's like, well, it can't hurt. You know, in fact, what I do in myself, what I do in my own body, what I do in my own mind, that's just, you know, that's just affects only me. But the reality is, is that there's more affected. It goes out in a further way. Okay. The second part that we talked about uh, point that we were talking about was that the conservative biblical definition of marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman into one flesh. And we looked at the scriptures last week from Genesis where God created Adam and Eve and brought Adam and Eve together. And there you have marriage and the statement about marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And then uh, Jesus picks up that same thought, those same verses in uh, Matthew, Matthew 19, where he talks about the very same thing when the Pharisees bring to him the question about divorce. And we'll talk next week about uh, marriage and divorce. So not everything there is to be said about the sixth commandment will be said today. Okay. Is that comforting or is that scary to you? I don't, I don't know which one it is because I want to make sure that we do not shy away from any of the controversial topics to, of today, okay? I don't, I don't want us to be afraid of that. I don't, I don't want us to run from it, but let's dig into it. Yeah. Well, I did miss last week, so you may have talked about this last week. Tell me what definition of conservative and liberal you are using. Yes, and that's what we're going to do. I put it up on the board because I mentioned that today, one of the things that is a struggle in Christendom is that there are mainline, mainline church bodies today that are embracing a, a more, I'm going to say, liberal view of sexuality. And in particular, when we get into the discussion of LBGT and gay marriage and those kinds of things, than other church bodies, Okay. So LCMS, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, which we are, is over here, whereas um, an example of, in Lutheran world, of more liberal uh, biblical pr principle would be from the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the ELCA. Now, there are other denominations that have gone that direction as well. So within Methodism, there are uh, Methodist congregations that have. Within Presbyterian, the Presbyterian USA denomination has, has shifted over to here. Parts of the Episcopalian church body have, all right? And so it, even within denominations that you would say, well, Lutheran or Episcopal or Methodist, that there, there's a one a group that's over here, and then there's one group that's over here. And then there's some that kind of float in between. So I put it on the spectrum from that perspective. So here's the definition that I'm using, and then we can uh, fist fight over whether or not that's a legitimate uh, definition or not, okay? So at least from a conservative perspective, this is how conservatives, uh, and I'll put it up on the board, and then I'll verbally say it just for the uh, uh, sake of the, uh, of the podcast, all right? The first thing is that conservative biblical principle starts with the authority of the entire Word of God, which is the revealed Word of God is in the Bible. Now, I say revealed because what that means is, is that does the Bible have every single word that Jesus ever said in it? No, and in fact, the Bible says that in the book of John. He says, you know, not everything that Jesus did and not everything that Jesus said is in the Bible, but these things are written so that you may what? You may know who he is. You may put your faith in him. You may have, you know, a life and salvation. All right. So again, you know, the scriptures are written from that particular perspective, but the belief in a conservative church body is that the authority lies within the entire Word of God, not parts of the Word of God. 
And so we talked about this a little bit in terms of what, what often happens is, is that over here, the perspective is, is that there is some question about whether the word of God is the word of God in its entirety. And so the, 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 the verbiage that's used is that the Bible contains the word of God, contains the word of God. Where over here, the position is the Bible is the Word of God. So what's the difference? It, it's a significant difference. I just want to know if you sort of get what that difference is. Well, the other is you allow, you're allowed to pick and choose what you want to believe is biblical. I mean, that's what it, it certainly opens the door for that, doesn't it? Because if I, if I determine, and, then, and then the question, of course, is then who makes that determination, right? Well, maybe it's all the smartest people in the room. That's who makes the determination. And most of us would say that, wouldn't we? We'd say, well, I, gee, I don't speak Greek. I don't know Hebrew. I don't know how you would do that. All right. But from a conservative perspective, which this is where we're coming from, is that the whole thing is. The whole thing is the Word of God. So that means that the whole thing has authority, as opposed to over here, which would be the the part that has authority is only the part that is the word of God, but that's up in the air as to what that might be. Okay. Yeah. Carl. Well, Ten commandments or commandments, not recommendations or guidelines, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. It is. All right. So, so that, does that make sense? That, that distinction. And so you can all, you, you can already see that even if this was the only principle, that would account for why there is this wide range, this spectrum, truly, about not only in terms of what is it that the word says, what does it mean, how do we understand it, that sort of thing, but even whether or not it's legitimate. And so, see, that's the difficulty sometimes when you get into a conversation or a fistfight, whichever one it might be, with somebody who's coming at some of these things from a different point of view than you are. You, it's hard to argue or to make a case when your foundation is different than theirs. Because we might be using the same words, but we're, we're not meaning the same thing. Okay? And that oftentimes is a difficulty. Okay? Make sense? Somebody else had their... Oh, Phil. Saying that the Bible contains the Word of God, mm -hmm. whenever I read that, it, for me, that, that leads an implication that not... Everything in the Bible is the Word of God. Right. Yeah. And so where then, what happens to a sense of security in the Word and the promises and a sense of assurance, uh, what would happen to that? Become unshaken ground. It, see, it, the, it's, like, it's like the foundation in your house. If the foundation is shaky then that affects the whole house. And you can put as much paint on that house as you want, but there are cracks in that house. I mean, it, it just, that's what happens. And so, again, it's, it, it is as much from a truth perspective as it is from the perspective of where do I get my assurance? Where, where, what is it that I can absolutely lean on? And so then it gets a, a little bit in terms of the issue of truth. All right. And so conservative biblical folks come, do come at it from the idea that there is such a thing as absolute truth. And that's questioned over here. Relativism is, is, is a bigger thing in more liberal biblical principles than it is in conservative liberal, conservative liberal, huh, conservative biblical principles. Yeah. There's another implication to the word contains. Yes. It doesn't leak out. It doesn't leak out. That's correct. It, it, that is correct that it does. The question is, what is the it that I can hold on to? Okay. And that's, see, that's the, pro the problem. It, one of the things that happens with lib when you take a liberal biblical view is you question everything, even those things that from a Christian perspective, I cannot afford to reject. So, you, I mean, we're talking about Sixth Commandment stuff and social issues and things like that. Well, maybe I can struggle with those things, okay? And very often we do. 
we do, where do I stand on this? And do I really believe this? And how do I deal with it? And my best friend has this. I mean, these are real life struggles that we have. Okay. But the kinds of things that get called into question over here are things that are fundamental to our Christian faith and belief. Like, for example, the virgin birth. Does it matter that Jesus was born of a virgin? Why? He's not stained by sin. And that is directly affects our salvation because what? He has to be perfect perfect in order to be the perfect sacrifice. Okay. What about the resurrection of Jesus? See, that's a fundamental absolute in terms of your Christian faith. But when, uh, but folks over here, there's openness over here to questioning that and perhaps even on some level rejecting it. And that's because again, it comes out of the idea that maybe that's not part of the word where we would look at that from this perspective and say, well, absolutely it's part of the word because it's all over the Bible. Okay. So see, again, it's it, what I'm, uh, what I'm having you think about is that very often positions that people take on different issues and even teachings within the Bible, some of which are easy to grab onto and others, which are really, you know, really heartrending to grab onto positions that people take are based on foundational things. And so if there's a difference in what you teach and what I teach, we need to ask the question, what's at the foundation of it? Okay. Make sense so far. All right. And again, I'm kind of giving you, I guess my perspective on this, but I think that if you were to do some reading in terms of where conservative uh, biblical scholars and, and churches are coming from versus more liberal are, or even somewhere in the middle, you'll find that this, it, that's pretty consistent. And it would kind of make sense. I'm a Lutheran pastor, LCMS. So there's not, it's not to be apologetic about it. It's just to say that's where my, that's where my orientation is. Okay. Um, Yeah. Oh yeah. The liberal uh, view on it kind of uh, rejects the idea that the prophets were guided by God and told to write what they wrote. Uh, It's, it's like. It's not always that. Okay. I think that what happens sometimes in. Uh, and this happens over time, all right, is that the further we are removed from the original guys saying it, okay, we just have that much longer to mess it up, right? I mean, that's kind of what happens is, is we end up saying, well, you know, we know more today than they knew then. And, and, and so, and there's some truth to that. We do know kind of more today than we did then. And we do understand the brain and kind of how the body works and all those things may be better or at least in more, a more scientific way, perhaps. Okay. So having said that, it, it does call upon us to be discerning. It, it does call, call upon us to be thoughtful. It does, it does require us to take, I think, an intellectual approach to the Bible. And yet we want to remember that the Bible is a book of faith. It's a book of faith. So it doesn't address all the science. There's sociology in it, but it doesn't address all the sociology. It's a book of faith. And so how do I take that book of faith and then that faith and put it to work in a society and a culture and with people I know and people that I love and care about? How do I do that without sacrificing this? And that's the hard thing. When this says something is sin... That is tough. That is no fun to have that conversation with anybody. But that's what we have to do. Or what happens is we say, in my feelings for you and my heartbreak for you, I'm going to give up on this and move in this direction. For me, that's too great of a sacrifice. I can't do that. But there are church bodies where they say that it's okay to do that. So it, and, and that's not even easy. These are hard things. Yeah, Tom. And, and what makes it so difficult is when you're on that far left and you have an absolute truth and you're, and you're discussing or, or debating from that position, 
and at the other end you have contains which well it kind of contains this maybe it contains this over here and it's a it's a moving position of what the foundation is mm -hmm. and, and you're stand firm in your position it's just hard to have that debate because their position can switch and change and move and, and all that so they can yeah they can and again i'm trying i'm being real careful here i'm not trying to paint the picture and say, here are the Christians and here are the heathens, okay? Notice I'm not saying that. And I've included the word biblical in both, right? Because, because there is biblical. I mean, the, the good news is I know a lot of ELCA people, for example, who believe in Jesus as their Savior. And in fact, my roommate from college is an ELCA pastor down, at the, uh, down in McAllen. And he and I have the, this great faith conversations. And he was raised LCMS and kind of got caught up in a, a lot of the Seminex stuff that we all did uh, at the time when Synod went through its split. But, but there still are solid fundamentals of the Christian faith, okay? It's just the, the problem is, is that the further you move this direction, you open the door. And once you open the door, how do you ever close it? Now, it's not to say that... There aren't moments over here where we get stuck in the mud, too, all right? Historically, for example, uh, back in my grandfather's day, Missouri Synod taught that it was a sin to have life insurance. <laughs> Dancing was only in Minnesota. That was only there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but think, so think about it theologically, okay? Theologically, not anything else. What would be the thought about that it would be a sin to have life insurance? Yeah. And the whole idea that maybe you're getting a little bit too wrapped up in temporal living and not thinking enough about heaven. Okay. Well, guess what? We don't have that prohibition anymore. Okay. We all have health insurance. We all have life insurance. It's all, it's all promoted. It's all those kinds of things. All right. But see, that's where going back and looking at the practice and the position, see, going back and looking at that with discerning was a good thing. Okay. Was a good thing. Yeah. Okay. With lots of hands up. So I can tell we're never going to get <laughs> beyond number one here. Yeah. Okay. All right. Wh which way are we going? Oh yeah. Marion. Okay. What this conversation reminds me of is the Bible tells us that in the end times, even God's very elect can be led astray. Sure. And this, a lot of the liberal teachings can make sense, can give you pause for thought, and mm -hmm. can lead you mm -hmm. the, the wrong way. Well, I see, and I come at it from the point of view of saying, I want to know what this is. That doesn't mean that I believe it. I'm just saying I want to know what it is so that I can, so I can tell the difference. All right. And that then when, so you remember like last week I was talking about how the, the, the pastoral approach that I take to a lot of these things where people are struggling with these things. Okay. It's one-on-one. -on -one. See, I'm gonna, that's how I'm going to do it. And that is how I do it is I want to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody rather than getting up in the pulpit and making a broad, big broadcasting sermon. Because in a broadcasting sermon, nobody has the chance, although I know you want to, <laughs> to raise your hand and say, wait a minute. Or to say, but, I, but what about this situation? That I means you don't get a chance to do that. I've been tempted on the times when I preach to actually do that, but the service would go for two hours and then that would, you know... <laughs> That would kill, that would be a worse sin than, you know, anything else, right? Around here, yeah. Especially on days when cowboys are playing. So it just, so it, it you know, that's the, that's the downside of proclamation. But do conversations need to be happening? Absolutely. And I'm not the only one. I know there's a lot of people that have these, are having these conversations. But in the conversation, part of the conversation is to ask the person, where are they at on this stuff? Because that's what I want to know. Now, there's a lot more I want to know. I also want to know the person's story. I want to know, is this something that you have always uh, been, been uh, 
attracted to? Or is this something that is a more recent thing? And what are the circumstances behind it? I want to know all that. And partly it's because if we're going to be involved in applying scripture to something, then we better make darn well sure that we know what it is we're applying scripture to. Okay? So there is a high valuing of people. It's not a low valuing of people. It's high valuing of people. But the manner in which that's expressed is probably a little different, maybe, in terms of how I would approach it than maybe some other pastors or some other churches would. Does that make sense? Yeah, good. Okay, Amanda. Uh, I just wanted to say that it's, it's really awesome that we're like um, keeping it within the conservative bi- biblical and liberal biblical because there's also like conservative radical yes. where people end up throwing a little bit more hate into the mix for the, the liberal yeah, radical. That's right. So that's why I put the arrows on there because it doesn't stop right there. It, cu- it moves this way as well as moves that way. It sure does. And, you know, it is kind of a, it's kind of a sad aspect of human nature is the more right I feel I am, the less discerning I become. And so part of it is, is that I have to still be able to look at myself and think about, okay, what are my motives here? You know, is this, I'm, am I just doing this to make myself look good or, or to look, you know, righteous to somebody? Or it, do I have a genuine concern for, for other people? And frankly, I think that we have to be asking ourselves that question all the time. We just do. When we, when we do finally get into the lesson for today, we're going to see a situation where um, they lost sight of that. They were, they were doing the right thing, but they lost sight of it. And when you lose sight of your own motive for doing what you do, then there is some question about who's committing the greater sin. Okay? So there's something to be said for that. Okay, other hands? Yep, Kathy. Uh, One, I want to say thank you for talking about your background influence and how you teach. Because I think, for me, it's very refreshing Mm because you've done the real life talking with people on the other side. Yes. But one of my pet peeves is the, um, I'm talking about absolute truth. Uh Uh-huh, absolute truth, yes. You will have, I've heard pastors uh, or teachers talk about when you, when they look at the truth, they'll say, oh, well, though, that means this because it was written in the context of the time. Mm -hmm. And where I get my biggest grief about that is, you know, they use that to twist what the actual truth is. So, Mm -hmm. and... I don't know how you can get around that because you can take that context and twist it to be any way you want. Sure. And I've seen very conservative teachers do that. Yeah. To talk about what you you said, the ultra right. conservatives. Before you know it, you're going. Wait a minute. No, yeah. I don't think that's what it means. Sure. And I think we need to be aware of that. If yeah. We're conservative. We need to not use that context of the time to twist the meaning to be something that's not. And yet. One of the principles that goes along with a conservative approach is that we are, uh, we are context aware. But what we're talking about when we say that is the idea that, um, yes, it was written 2,000 years ago and it was that context. So, so, so the thing you're always having to ask is what was the purpose for which it was said or written in the first place, we're not going to ignore that. But the question always is, if it was written to that particular context in that particular situation, then is it applicable to us today if we have a different context or if we have a different situation? And that, I think, to some degree is part of the imperfection of humans trying to understand God. Okay, it just is. But you can kind of see where the line of demarcation would be in terms of people who are coming at it from the authoritative perspective. There's a high view of that. Whereas if I'm coming at it from the perspective of maybe it is and maybe it isn't, then if it isn't, then what is it that does determine the rightness and wrongness of something or the appropriateness or the inappropriateness of something. You know, how do I make, how do I make that decision? And sometimes that just is based on uh, a person's own individual interpretation of something. So one of the things that often is said, and you'll hear this 
coming mostly from people who are tr- want to make the case for the idea. Let's, let's uh, take gay marriage as an example. Is that the movement today from, from this perspective looking at this perspective, okay, is to say that for 2,000 years we have misinterpreted, mistranslated, and misunderstood the words of the scripture with respect to LBGT. That's the position, okay? What the position is intending to do, the intent is, is to uh, normalize and to say that it is God-ordained. And the only way that you can do that is if you go to the scriptures and retranslate. You can't do it any other way. And if you want to have any sort of authoritative discussion in, the, in Christianity, you have to still go back to the word. You have to do that. That's, I mean, that's our common, the commonality that we have with each other is still bib- the biblical, right? But if you make the case that says for 2,000 years we've misunderstood, we've mistranslated, and, and we've misinterpreted uh, what God's word has to say about gay marriage as an example— or immorality in a general way, okay? Then you can see where the dividing line will not be, uh, it's, very di- it's very hard to see how the dividing line biblically can be bridged, right? Now, society has bridged it. Society has. Gay marriage has been legalized now, okay? Society has, has bridged that. But in the Christian community, it is not bridged, and so the question is, will, will it ever be? I don't know. Yeah, Bob. You were talking about context. You've got to remember, 2,000 years ago, the Roman world was full of homosexuality, yes. divorce, abortion, yes. all of the things that we're talking about today. So there's no difference, really, in the context that we're talking That's about. That's correct. And it was condemned by Jesus then, why is it not condemned now? Yeah, and so the that, these are the questions that we would ask coming out of a conservative perspective. That question would not be asked coming out of the liberal perspective. So see, there are certain things that are just assumed. And the assumptions, when, when you listen to the assumptions, or let me say it this way, you listen for the assumptions, you discern what the assumptions are, then it's, it's easier to say, oh, okay, I understand where you're coming from because you're coming from this perspective, right? Not from this perspective. Okay? Yeah, Keith. You also have to realize that some of these things, I mean, did, there's one passage that comes to mind is in the King James Version of the Bible, it talks about Lucifer. That's the only version. <laughs> they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls that was possibly a misinterpretation. Sure. It happens. Yeah. But that's one place. Yeah. When you talk about homosexuality, it's numerous places it's condemned. It's not one. It is. And, and it's in the broader context, right? It's in the broader context, yeah. More than one place. So yeah. you have more things to do. So that's where we look at things where the Bible makes a point and mm-hmm. usually does it more than once. Yeah. And the other part to it is, and this is, I think, where I think we hurt the cause over here. When we, when we sort of make these big proclamations about homosexual sin as if somehow that is the worst sin ever and that's the only sin ever and then we kind of ignore all the other stuff. You know, like, well, gossip is way low on the list. Okay, so if you gossip, not a big deal, right? But if you have same-sex attraction and you act on that, oh my gosh, you're going to hell. I mean, see, it, what is that? okay. So sometimes the picking and choosing goes on here too, does it not? Where we sort of um, kind of reserve high offendedness for some things and low offendedness for other things. And I think that sends a terrible message. So, yeah. But don't you also think that in many of the, you know, the activist cases, they're taking pride in it. I mean, when we gossip, I don't think we take pride in it. I don't think we ask other people to celebrate. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, so what you, but what you could say, what you could say, okay, is you could put over here those who are activists 
for this, right? In the same sense that you could say that there are those of us. See, you could sort of argue, or I would anyway, that in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were activists, okay? And in fact, the Sadducees were activists over here. So there was even in Judaism, there was this division between, you know, liberal versus conservative. Yeah, and that, didn't, that hadn't changed any. So, because we all react to somebody, don't we? Yeah. The way I look at it is the biblical view has to be lived rather than forced. Look at Jesus. On the way to his death, he was restoring ears. He was, sure. you know, he was living his faith yeah. and his conservative view right. towards all people. Yeah. Even when one of his disciples takes off an ear, he replaces it. Yeah. Even though that's, it's just, you don't, you don't, you have to live yeah. that life. Yeah. You, that's the only way to that's have it, is to live it. And, and so, see, for us, that's why this is a big deal. Now, it's a big deal for everybody, but I'm just saying for us, this is why it's a big deal. Because it goes to the issue then of how do I go through life being confident in what I can be confident in. See, there's so much in life that you can't be confident in. And, and just when you think you got it figured out, it changes. And then and you hear people say that all the time. It's, well, in my day, it was this way, and now it's this way. And, you, you know, where you're, you're, you feel like you're out of balance. There's, so where do you find that, that immutable, unchangeable thing? Well, God is, okay? And the good news is that everybody agrees on that, right? It's sort of like after that <laughs> is where the disagreement. So let me, let me give you a couple other things, and then we can kind of move on into the actual lesson for today, all right? All right, another one that is big over here is the idea that Scripture interprets Scripture. And so what that means is, is that when you have the viewpoint that says all of it is God's word, then even if something that was said in the Old Testament has legitimacy as well as something in the New Testament. And oftentimes what you'll find over here is more of the attempt to divide the scripture in terms of what is more authoritative and what is not. And so the argument would be if something was written about these things in the Old Testament, then that for Christians doesn't have much authority because we're New Testament people. That you'll hear that, okay? Another aspect of dividing it is, is saying that if Jesus never had anything to say about this, then it must be okay, even if St. Paul had a lot to say about it, Right? where we would look at it and say, because the whole thing is the word of God, you don't divide the two. You don't say, well, Jesus didn't say anything about gay marriage or uh, sexual immorality, as he said a little bit, but not that much. Paul said a whole lot, but Paul was just a human being. Jesus was God. See, what, what's hap what happens in that argument is we're dividing scripture, are we not? And we're saying, well, this part is authoritative and this part isn't. That, is, that comes out of this perspective. It comes out of that liberal perspective. It does not come out of a conservative perspective. Okay? And so, again, it's just to try to uh, increase your awareness on the idea that it's important to look at the underpinnings. See? To look at what's underneath the position that somebody takes, not just only get hyper about the position. Because if you just focus on the position, then what will happen is we're going to get into, well, we just disagree. And why can't we just all get along? Well, we need to get along, but not at the sacrifice, not to sacrifice the basic fundamentals. Yeah, Phil. On, on the subject of, of division and, and adultery, like for, for me, taking a conser conservative biblical look at uh -huh. um, there, there's real, there's no difference of a man lusting after another woman that is not his wife, and a man lusting after another man. Right. It's all adultery. That's so right. I don't, I don't understand why on the more conservative side we would further divide adultery to, to say, oh, this is heterosexual right. adultery and homosexual adultery. It's all adultery. Yeah, and I think that that's where the folks that are trying to make the case for 
in the inclusivity aspect of things and the, that we should be more accepting and embracing. I think they make a good point with that in that what you just said, because we do kind of pick and choose. You know, m- most people would, I, and, and, and this is just kind of my own observation, is that most people do not cringe at the thought of heterosexual affairs between men and women. And it might offend us, but, you know, you see it on TV, it's in movies, it's, we become so desensitized to things that, that, you know, we just don't even raise an eyebrow anymore, Right? <laughs> But the idea of same-sex sex, that sends a, for some people, sends a visceral reaction. And so, see, I think to some degree, that's what fuels this sort of notion of picking and choosing. And we have to be careful that we don't do that, okay? One of the things that Paul does in, in uh, Colossians, Corinthians, we'll look at uh, some of the verses if we ever get there. Um, <laughs> is that he, he, he puts it into a list. And his list covers a lot of stuff that you and I would say, oh, you know, that's not nearly as bad as that, all right? But see, that's again because how does God look at sin? Sin is sin. And because sin is sin, it, it, even if we say it's not, that doesn't change the fact that he says it is, Okay sin is sin, then sin needs to be repented of. And we can talk about what repentance looks like. We certainly can do that. Okay? But it still is what it is. Now, why would we think that it might be a good thing for somebody to admit that they have the sin and repent of the sin? Why might that be a good thing? Because I'm acknowledging my need for forgiveness. And when I, as I receive forgiveness, and then I live in my forgiveness, I'm living my belovedness. And what am I doing? I'm in a position to extend my belovedness to other people. So see, love is still the thing. But see, today, I think concepts like love and hate, for example, have gotten so goofy that it's really hard to even know what's being talked about when words like love and hate are used. Because in, in, in the narrative today, the national narrative, if you listen to people or read what's being said, is anytime you say no to somebody, you hate them. At least in these kinds of things. And if you love them, what that means is that you say yes and you embrace it. And you celebrate it. And see, that doesn't, that doesn't go with this. That doesn't fit with this. We love people, yes. But that's not the same thing as saying that everything then, therefore, that people do is good and okay and healthy and God-pleasing. And that's where the line is, okay? And that's why I'm just, I just really feel this way, that bridging those two is almost impossible because of the fundamental differences, okay? The fundamental differences. Okay, somebody else had their hand up and then, oh yeah, Max. Well, I think when we're ranking sin sometimes, uh, teachings of the church, especially the Catholic church in the past, about seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. So how does that, I mean, if we're saying there's certain deadly sins, mm-hmm. but then that's why this one's worse than that one. Mm-hmm. Is that true or not? Or since they're all equal in God's eye, you know, sin is sin. Well, how does that play out? So that is a, just a great question, Max. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, you know, that's, there's a lot in Catholicism that befuddles me. And that's kind of one of them. Because I, I think probably originally when that was promoted, there probably was, there probably were some things going on where they said, we really need to like nail these ones down. And maybe it's sort of uh, the idea that these are like a core out of which comes other things. Okay. Maybe that's what that is. But that's, that's one, that's one of the teachings in Catholicism that I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. My Lutheran DNA gets all befuddled. Okay. Thoughts, thoughts, anybody thoughts, uh, um, anybody from a Catholic perspective want to address that? Speaking for all of Catholicism here right now, (laughs) 
The final word on Catholicism will now be spoken. All right, yeah, Kathy. Yeah, I was raised in a devout Catholic. Okay, yeah, you could say something about that. To that point, I think it was really a matter of the Catholic Church is very structured, very Byzantine. Mm -hmm. So they had to have their rules sure. from above. They probably set it up that way just to clarify things. But mm -hmm. then they didn't encourage going back to the word directly. That yeah. was done through the priest. Right. So you have to put all of that context, the structure, the... Uh, that's why Luther, who incidentally never stopped thinking he was Catholic. No kidding. So yeah. let's remind the group of that. True. Um, you know, that was his beef, and mm -hmm. that's what set off all the Lutheranism. Right. But I think it was the structure of the church and denying people access to the word. So that's a way better answer than I could have given, let me tell you for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Richard? Yeah. Well, after listening to her for four years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an interesting preface. We do celebrate the length of your marriage. That's what you meant to say, isn't it? Yes, yeah. No, I wonder if, because of Luther's complaints, I wonder if it really had to do with the uh, sticker price for the sins. All right, he's proposing a new theory now that the higher up the sin was, the higher the value it was, the sticker price. I, I'm guessing you mean consequences of the sin. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Could have been. The indulgences you paid. Yeah, could have been. I went in and I said I did. You know, I sold something for to somebody and I yeah. cheated them on the price. Sure. So it was five marks, uh -huh. you know. And if I cheated on my wife, well, that was a fifty mark sin. I don't know. Yeah, this is just a Lutheran trying to understand Catholicism. That's what this is. All right. Well, listen, we have like uh, eight minutes left. I got late service today, so I have to run, run off to work. Hate to leave you. But why don't we get into a little bit of this? All right. Just so we can have the satisfaction of knowing that we actually got into the lesson for today. All right. If we could do that. All right. So uh, the, the question is, how does the Bible address the issue of sex outside of marriage? Okay. So that's marriage. You know, and again, we talked about this last week, is that sex is a gift from God, and it is a gift given within the, co the confines, if you will, or the limits of marriage. That's God's intent. That's God's plan. It is primarily, and, but also not limited, to, for the safety of children. Okay? And so uh, it's a whole different uh, discussion which we could do. Uh, I'm not prepared today to do it, but we could talk about the effects in society on single parents, uh, households without fathers, households without mothers. We can, we can do, go there if you want to, but it's just that the, the idea here is that um, you know, God's intent in terms of reserving sex for marriage has good impact not only on spirituality, but also on society. Okay, so that's having said that. So how does the Bible address this? So when we, thought, when we talk specifically about adultery, the Old Testament was pretty, pretty hardcore, all right? Um, Leviticus 20.10, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are what? To be put to death. Whew, Wow. All right. Now that's the context for John 8. All right. So we read John 8, 1 to 11. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. 
What jumps off the page for you? There might be a number of things. Yeah, Tom. Punishing the woman. Punishing the woman. Takes two to tangle. So already there was a division, was there not? Right? Already there was no spiritual concern for either the woman or the guy she was involved with. Because they didn't bring the guy in front of of anybody, didn't bring the guy in front of Jesus. So we know they had no concern for him. How do we know they had no concern for her spiritually? Because they were using her. They did not care about her. Even though they may have had legitimate concern for her lifestyle and the way in which that lifestyle was impacting her life in a negative way. They could have had concern for that, but they weren't, that wasn't what this was about. This was using somebody for the purpose of getting at Jesus and maybe have a way to persecute him. Yes. Where are the witnesses? Pardon? Where are the witnesses? And then where are the witnesses? Yeah. So see, the whole thing was a sham, right? Even though one could argue they had a legitimate case, does the, the poor manner in which they handled it negate the fact that sin was still present? No. Sin was still present. It was. Okay? And that sometimes escapes us when we're reading through this story because we think, oh, how terrible, how terrible. They shouldn't have done that. Well, they shouldn't have done it the way they did it. But if sin is still present... See, the the problem that we have as human beings is sometimes our feelings get in the way and we say, well, if sin is present, what am I supposed to do with that? See, I'm not the one sinning. The other person is the one sinning. Do I have a responsibility? Do I not have a responsibility? Is it my place to say something? Should I just say, well, that's the way they're living their life and they have a right to do that. And, you know, it's not for me not for me, and then I don't say anything. Those are open questions that we struggle with. I know I do. What do you do and what do you say? Especially if the woman in this case was your own kid. What about that? Yikes. What do you do? See? Kind of gets quiet in here when we think about it from that point of view, doesn't it? Yeah. What if the guy was a Roman? Yeah, what about that? And he had protections. The state would protect him. That was the Roman lifestyle. Sure. Except except in society like we have a lot of today. Yeah. So see, these are all things that we struggle with humanly. And we're tempted in the... We're tempted in the moment of the struggle because we have feelings about it. We're tempted to just say, well, then it wasn't sin. She was just a product of society. She had a hard life. Maybe she was a widow and there was no social network for her. And maybe this is what she had to do, you know, to live. Our feelings get caught up in it. And what happens is it makes it harder, doesn't it? To figure out what's right and wrong. And then even if it's wrong, it's really hard to figure out what to do with it. In, in the sense of what is my obligation or in some sense, what is my opportunity? Okay. What else jumped off the page in the two minutes we have left? <laughs> yeah. It never says what he was writing. Yeah, there's been a lot of... There, that's right. What was he writing on the ground? That's very interesting. Well, in regard to that, I've read this many times. We're always fascinated by Jesus' teaching, the way he teaches. Yeah. But... He really just with that one sentence, he writes before it writes after. He just pauses and lets them make their own decision. That's what I think. I, that's too. what jumped out. I never had yeah. thought about that. It's just like, yeah. okay, you decide. Yeah. Yeah. I think they left one at a time because on the second, the, when he stooped down to write the second time, he began with the oldest and he started writing down some sins he had done and he got out of there. <laughs> <laughs> See? I noticed that too. The older ones left first and the young, you know, those young firebrands, you know, they were the, you know, talk about activists. They were, you know, my golly, you know, we're going to write the wrongs here. But the older ones figured out real quick that, uh, uh, you know, I know my life 
And I know maybe I got caught up in the fervor of this. And now as I look at myself and consider my own motives here, maybe I'm not as pure as I would like to present myself in being. So, yeah, when I was younger, I never noticed that phrase in this story. <laughs> but now it's the phrase that jumps off the face for me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm smart or not, or not Mike. It, it was the ulterior motive of trying to trap Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And did they not, did not the Jews at this time, if they were going to condemn a person to death, have to go to the Romans? Yeah, we talked about that last week as to whether or not they actually could have done this. Because, because Rome reserved for itself capital punishment, the idea of killing people. That's why, that's why they had to take Jesus to Pilate. You know, they couldn't just take him out and stone him, even though they, that certainly emotionally is what they wanted to do. All right, so when at the very end, nobody's there, but now Jesus and the woman. And he asks the question, has no one condemned you? The word condemned there has to do with the idea of, of, of ultimately rejecting which is, of course, what they were all about. So when, he, when she says, no one, sir, then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. I do not reject you. I do not hold your, your life against you and say, that's it. You can have no part of me. Right? But then what does he add? And this is the part that gets dropped off in many people's approach to this. He acknowledges that her lifestyle was one of sin. It was pulling her away from a relationship with God. And it was affecting her life in ways that Jesus knew, even though she may have said to herself, this is all I can do. What else am I going to do? How do I live? How do I survive? Jesus knew. And so he says, what? Go and leave your life of sin. Now we don't know the, the sort of theory is, is that she became one of Jesus's followers. But it, as she did that, giving up her life of sin went with it. It wasn't like it would have been where Jesus would have said, but go ahead and continue in your uh, sexual immorality or in your adulterous ways. So see, there's something to be said for the idea that if I, if I am a follower of Jesus, that the power of belonging to Jesus and knowing that you are beloved by Jesus can change your life. And we don't hear that message much from over here. Over here doesn't talk about life changing. It doesn't talk about transforming your life, even in the midst of struggles that you might have with some of these very things, addictions and other things. It doesn't talk about it from that perspective. We believe here that the power of the word can change people. It can transform people. Might you still struggle with it? Yeah, you might. You probably will. But the struggle means that you're not fighting the fight alone. You're fighting it with the power of God's word and his promises in your life. And that's greater than you. Okay. Make sense? Okay, well, I'm late for church already, so <laughs> Pastor Coleman's already walking down the aisle. <laughs> Gee whiz, I don't know. Yeah, uh, occasionally he waits for me, so maybe this will be one of those times. All right, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the way that your word speaks to us. Lord, it convicts us. It hits us right between the eyes, and when it does, we're sort of left with, what do we do now? Well, it's in those moments of panic, Lord, that we're so grateful for the fact that you yourself, you're standing there, you're smiling at us and you're saying with open arms, come and be with me and everything that that involves. And so we bring all of our uncleanness. We bring all of our struggles. We bring all of our addictions. We bring all of the stuff that is kind of known to us and maybe not to anybody else. And you say, come leave your life of sin and be embraced in love by me. So, Lord, that's really kind of what we want to do. And we want to do that not only in our own walk, in our church body. We want to do that in the world around us because there's a lot of confusion about what that all means. So challenge us this week, dear Lord, not to get all uppity about other people's sin and kind of ignoring our own. But to be grateful for the fact that you love us all and you share your love with us. And you give us the gift of forgiveness and repentance and faith. 
Watch over us this week, Lord, until we're together again. And we look forward to that next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.